This morning, we're kicking off a new series called Irresistible, a vision of what could be and should be. And, and I'm going to ask that you join us. It's a four-part series. I'm asking that you join us for all four parts. Now, we have lots of ways that you can join us. You can live stream us. I did that for the two weeks that I was gone. It was awesome. It's really fun even to see like different people who are like joining you. You kind of feel like you're part of a community, even though you can't be a part of this community. Uh, you can go to awakeningchurch.com. You can podcast the service. But I'm asking that you join us for all four parts because we're starting a conversation today. And if you miss one is kind of like coming in halfway through a conversation. You're going to be like, what, huh, what about this? And this is so important. This topic is so important uh, for us at Awakening, for the church, I believe, but specifically for you in your relationship with God and with others. Irresistible. It's a series about the church. It's a vision of what could be and should be. Now, the church, for those of us, we know this, we get this. The church isn't a building, and we don't have a building, so hello, we get that. But a church, the church is the people of God, both when we gather together and when we separate. We say this all the time, that, you know, the church has left the building, the church is on the move, wherever you go, church is going. And we want to cast a vision and talk about a vision of what could be and should be for the church. So join us all four weeks as we do that. This morning, uh, we're, we're talking about this concept, this idea of messy church. And I had one introduction, and I'm going to get to that in a second, but I want to introduce this a little bit differently in light of yesterday's uh, events as we got to see evil displayed in Charlottesville and see white supremacists uh, march down. And, I, you know, we live in a country divided. We live in a country where if you are Mexican, if you're a Muslim, if you're an immigrant, if you're black, if you're even a policeman, you're afraid. And we have a culture and an environment that um, is perpetrating evil. And uh, social media has become a megaphone and everyone's so afraid to be criticized that, that we rarely say or do anything. Or we just bandwagon it. Uh, yesterday I caught this on Instagram uh, and I loved it. There's, every once in a while, right? Every once in a while you see something you're like, oh, that's really good. When hate is loud, love cannot be silent. And this morning I want as the church for us to be the church... And so we're going to start very differently. Uh, we're going to start, and I'm going to ask you to join with me that we as a church would get on our knees, pray for our country, pray for our brothers and sisters, pray for this church, repent in the areas where we've been silent when we should have spoke up, repent in the areas where we spoke up and should have been silent. So we got both. I've got both, okay? I've got both. And that we begin to step into being the church God has called and made us to be, the agents of his love and grace. That's who you're called to be and made to be, the agents of his love and grace, okay? So if you will, I know for some this is brand new and you're like, hey, I'm not even a Christian. That's okay. You still love this, you know, people and you don't want what happened going there. You can get on your knees and, and just have, you know, good thoughts towards them. That's fine. But if... You wouldn't mind, get on your knees with me, and I'm just going to pray for us as we begin. Heavenly Father, 
One, we just thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you that you are our heavenly, all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, all-good Father. And God, we pray for our nation. It's a mess. And there's such deep divides, there's such deep fear, there's such deep anger and hatred and vitriol. God, we pray for our nation that you would bring healing and hope and life. God, we pray against the evil of a group coming out and using your name in vain, in the name of Jesus, declaring things that are evil. God, I pray against that in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for Charlottesville right now that, that you would bring peace and you bring life. For those who are concerned about their well-being, you would allow the church to rise up and be their arms of grace and love, God. That you would give church leaders their courage to stand up for what's right, even when it's scary. God, I confess all too often because I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, I do nothing. God, we confess as a church that, that when hate is loud, sometimes our love is silent. Would you show us how to love well? Would you make us a people who extend your grace, extend your peace, extend your life? God, would you heal our land? Would you unite our nation, not because we agree with everything, but because we love one another? And in this place, in this community, we ask your kingdom come. Your will be done. In San Jose, the Silicon Valley, at awakening as it is in heaven. And I'll guess people said, amen. All right. Intro number two. As we start this conversation of irresistible, a vision of what could be and should be about the church, I want to start with a little visual, and for those of you who are familiar with this right here, I'm not doing what you're thinking. You're thinking I'm about to do the bridge illustration. I am not, although it is some sort of a bridge illustration. Here's what I want you to do, and I put it in your notes so you can play along at home. I want you to just kind of tell me what comes to mind when I write this word. What immediately comes to mind? What's the one thing that comes to mind when you hear the word church or Christians? All right. Now, this is where we play together. What comes to mind? God for church and Christians? Okay. What else? Family? Nice. Love, I heard. How about one or two more? Friendship, yeah. 
Now, I want you to think about this question just a little bit different, from a different angle. What comes to mind when your coworkers, neighbors, classmates hear the word church or Christian? We don't know Jesus. Rules? Judgmental? Hypocrites? Well, that's pretty good. All right. Other side. Let's shift it over here. Uh, what comes to mind when you hear the word Jesus? When you hear it, huh? Savior. Yeah, that's great. Savior, King. What else? Peace. Yeah, we're just praying to the Prince of Peace. Good. What else? Love. I hear Creator, I think. Okay. Good list. We could go on for a long, long time. Now, what comes to mind when your coworkers, neighbors, classmates hear the word Jesus? What would they come up with? Teacher, good. What else? Prophet? Okay. Person of history. Moral, yeah, he's a moral good teacher, moral or good. Maybe, would anybody say love at all or no? You think they would say he's a person to love or? Okay, okay. Okay, now here's the exercise. There is... A very wide gap between those who do not know Jesus in our world and what they perceive, between what they think of Jesus and what we think of Jesus and what we think of church. So think about this. When Jesus walked the planet, he was irresistible to the irreligious. I mean, think about it. I mean, if you haven't read, I encourage you to read the Gospels. Read it through to the irreligious, to the non-religious, to those who wanted nothing with God. He was, they were his raving fans. He was simply irresistible. And by the way, when the early church began, his followers and the way they lived their life was irreligious. Resistible. In fact, many people were like, I don't really believe what you believe, but I cannot deny how you are living, and it is compelling. Historians, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, the first, uh, next week that is, the first 300 years of the church have no good reason for why it existed and made it through, because the intense persecution was so 
great. Rome tried to stomp it out. And yet this irresistible movement began. And yet, 2,000 years later, when we talk about the church, when we talk about Christians, what we find is something that's completely resistible. And I would argue, doesn't really represent Jesus very well either. You know, when college students were asked, what comes to mind? What's the first thing that comes to mind when uh, they heard the word Christians? The overwhelming uh, response from the poll was people who do not live out what they believe. Hypocrites. See, I don't know about you, but I've experienced like church to be messy and kind of messed up at times. And I'm not asking for you to raise your hand, but I've been hurt deeply and wounded by church people before. And my guess is many in this room or some in this room have been hurt by church people. Here's my argument this morning. I believe the church has been messy for all the wrong reasons. I think the way of Jesus is actually very messy. It's actually way harder. And this morning, I want to talk about how to be messy for all the right reasons, how to return to an irresistible community on mission who represent our Savior King, the Prince of Peace, the loving creator of the universe. How do we become that? How do we become a, a community that's irresistible to a hurting and broken world? Because you've experienced it, you've had it in your conversations, that somehow the church today is often turning people away from Jesus than to Jesus, aren't they? And so how do we return back? How can we once more become an irresistible community? To do this, I want to look at a snapshot in the life of Jesus' ministry. And so if you got your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 5. And this snapshot uh, will give us a picture of the way, or the, what I like to call the messy way of Jesus. Because I, I believe church was intended to be messy. Because we're messy people. But I think there's a way to be messy that is irresistible. And our messy way right now is very irresistible, and we all get that. And so if you turn to Luke chapter 5, we're going to see this uh, snapshot in the life and ministry of Jesus, uh, uh, this moment of Jesus calling one of his disciples, and it's incredibly messy. And my hope is for some that this thought will be very challenging, thought-provoking. Hopefully, even a bit provocative, that we would return to the way of Jesus. If you pick it up, Luke chapter 5, verse 27, begins this way. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Some of you know this man by the name of Matthew. Uh, he's referred to that in a couple others. He also wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Sitting at his tax booth, follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Okay, let's rewind. After this. So let me give you the context. It starts off after this. So you know what happened before this moment? And this moment, by the way, I cannot express to you how shocking this moment is. How, how, 
how this is like crazy what is just about to happen. And I'm going to try to build it up in such a way that, that at least you'll feel the weight of the moment. How, how dangerous, how different, provocative this moment is. So after this, so before this moment happened, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, sees a few brothers fishing, and he goes to these fishermen, <laughs> and he casts out with them, and he tells them to throw the nets on the other side. They do, and they're like, well, I'm on. We fished all night. And then they pull in this large boat of uh, fish, and they're like, oh, my goodness, your Lord, get away from me. I'm sinful. And he says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now think about this. Jesus' first disciples were ordinary unschooled, blue-collar fishermen. Now, every rabbi wanted the top of the top, and these guys dropped out of school for the family business. These guys, you know, when even later in Acts, when the Sanhedrin are interviewing them, and they're trying to get them to shut up about talking about this Jesus, they stood back and went, wow. For these unschooled fishermen, they could tell had been with Jesus. Something had changed because they'd been with Jesus. Now, this is a rough and tough and cussing group of guys. These are guys that don't have it all together. Jared's just, you know, grinding it through to make a living. And Jesus looks at these fishermen and says, you know what? I see something more in you. Come follow me. And then he moves on and he moves to a leper. I think, right? Hang on. Yeah, a leper. You guys probably know this about lepers, but lepers in that day, they would have some sort of skin ailment, and they would be disfigured, and um, literally, they were ostracized from community, and so what they would have is a bell around their neck, and they would ring it anytime people came in their vicinity, and they would shout out, unclean, unclean, so that people knew to stay away from them. And so this is a man who has not had community except with some other lepers on the outskirt of town. He has been pushed out. He is dirty and diseased, and he figures, you know what? I, what have I got to lose? This rabbi is doing some incredible miracles, and I'm going to ask him, will he heal me? And here's what Jesus does. He touches him. He touches the leper. Now, now he could just say, be clean, and he would be clean. Now, this is a man who has not been touched. I don't know how long. Could be years and years. A man who's never felt a human touch but his own wringing of hands. In the Old Testament, uh, when anything clean came into the contact with something unclean, that which was clean then became unclean. And it transferred the uncleanliness to the clean thing, so now it is defiled. And with Jesus, this is so good, with Jesus, he touches that which is unclean and made it clean and reversed the order and touched the leopard and cleansed him. And then he's teaching in a house, and it got packed out. And some guys had a paralytic friend. And they're trying to figure out how can they get their friend to Jesus. And so they ask, like, well, I don't know, but we're going to get him there because we think Jesus can do something about my paralyzed friend. And so some of you know the story. They dig a hole through the roof, and then they drop him down. And Jesus in this packed room, and you got these religious leaders kind of examining, okay, what is this guy all about? What's going on? And what does he think he's doing? Because he kind of, 
encroaching on our territory. And Jesus looks at this man, and I love this. you got to read your Bible. Come on. This is so amazing and so good because Jesus, oh, man, he is brilliant in God. But he's brilliant, too. And so he looks at this paralyzed man, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And I don't know what the paralyzed man's thinking at that. He's like, yeah, that's cool, but that's not really why it's coming. Thank you very much. I don't know if you saw, but I cannot walk. Thank you very much. But I know what the religious leaders were thinking. Who's this guy? Only God can forgive sins. Who does he think he is? Now, this is the cool part. Think about this. And he looks up, knowing what was in the hearts of the Pharisees, and says this. Which is easier? To say and declare your sins are forgiven, which nobody can really prove. No one can test. Well, cool, he forgave my sins. Awesome. Or to say, pick up your mat and walk. But to prove to you that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, I say to you, pick up your mat and walk. And the paralyzed man picked up his mat and walked out of the crowded room. And the Pharisees are going, oh, crap. See, when we see Jesus, when we look at Jesus, we see God perfectly. When you see Jesus and when we take a glimpse of Jesus, we see God perfectly. If you want to know how God would respond to a dirty and disease-ridden leper, he would touch him. You want to know how he'd respond to to guys just grinding and eking out their day and just, they're like, man, God wouldn't have anything to do with me. He's walking to him saying, I see more in you. Come follow me. You want to know how he'd respond to a paralyzed man, maybe internally or externally? He says, you're forgiven and walk again. You have a God who engages you at every level because when we see Jesus, we see God perfectly. And then he says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw. Circle that word saw. This doesn't mean just to look. It doesn't mean I just happened to have this guy and I caught, he caught my eye and wow, look at him. He's a tax collector. Tax collector, by the way. He was sitting on the edge of a, a territory of Capernaum and uh, the seven, or the ten, uh, the Decapolis. And he was basically just, you know, taxing the goods that were coming in and out. And see, he saw, and this word means see, to perceive something above and beyond what is merely seen with the eye. Like he saw him. And you know what everyone else saw? A tax collector. They saw Levi, otherwise known as Matthew. And I think Luke was really uh, like specific in saying Levi, that's his Hebrew name. Matthew was his Greek name. Connecting him, he's a traitor. is Levi, who's now working for the occupying oppressive regime, Rome, that has forced our people. This is Levi, who's exploiting his own people for his own good. This is Levi. And I don't know what would help, like, fill in the blank for you. Maybe a tax collector is, we don't really get that. Like, oh, that's really bad. Maybe fill in the blank with the worst politician that comes to mind. And Jesus saw. 
They saw beyond all of that into who he is and what he could be. And that he was not a tax collector, but he was an image bearer of the God most high. Sitting at his tax booth, and Jesus says, follow This is irresistible, by the way. See, the way it kind of works today is we don't start with, I see you, not just what you do, but I see you, image bearer, son, daughter, precious, beloved of God. I see that. I I see beyond the external doings. I see beyond the failings. I see beyond all of the things. I see beyond you ripping people off. I see beyond to beloved of God. See, what we do instead of saying follow, we say fix. See, the cadence of our call is get your life fixed up. Fix yourself. Get cleaned up. And then you can follow me. And Jesus saw this man, saw him. How cool is that? Because Jesus is still seeing people to this day. He's still seeing you. And he sees way beyond all the stuff that you think defines you because he really knows you and he sees you. And his call is just the same. Not clean up your life. Not fix it for your life. Not somehow figure it out. Follow me. And he got up and left everything and followed him. Jesus was irresistible. So Levi did this. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. Now, now the text doesn't help us here. A great banquet. This is literally elaborate, upscale, over-the-top party. Now, how did you ever wonder where did Levi get the money to throw an elaborate, upscale, over-the-top party? And a large crowd of tax collectors and others, later we'll find out sinners, were eating with them. We're reclining. Jesus is there. He's where many people go, you shouldn't be. I mean, if we saw that on somebody's Instagram feed, we'd go like, oh, man. Can you believe Susie? She's just like, oh, she's at that party, and she's at this thing, or she's doing this thing. And Jesus is at this upscale, elaborate, over-the-top, crazy party that Levi's throwing. He's there, and he's reclining with them. Here's what I love about Jesus that is so irresistible. Jesus wasn't afraid to be misunderstood by people for the sake of people knowing him. And he just hangs with but, and you can do this for me. I'm going to read the next part, but it's kind of like the dun-dun-dun moment. Would, would you, like, I'm going to read it again. I'm going to get to the but, right? But would you do that for me? Uh, just like dun-dun-dun. All right, you ready? You got it? You got it? Okay, okay, okay. Thank you, thank you. So, so they were eating with them, but... Well, let's try it one more time. I mean, uh, it's just, I, I mean, it's just got it's to it's feel that weight because, I mean, this is like a big butt. You know what I mean. Uh, in the text, 
Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them, which we should be celebrating, but... Oh, that was good. That was good. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained, literally grumbled. Now, Pharisees get a bad rap. Pharisees, they were a group that was deeply committed to the Hebrew Scripture, deeply committed to God, deeply committed to trying to help raise up the moral... Uh, fiber of their country. They believe this. They believe that the reason the Messiah, the Savior, had not come was because Israel was in sin and needed to repent. And there's a lot of things going on in the prophets where they would hear about that. And so they were careful to obey all the rules and careful to tell everyone else how they were not obeying any of the rules. And over time, they started out good, but over time, they began to feel like they were better than everybody else, and they let everyone else know it. And he said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? See, the issue here in their day, to eat with people means to accept them. I accept you like you belong. Jesus is with a group that couldn't be further away from God, couldn't be further like the wrong people, the people that, man, they're sleeping through awakening 1130 because they're drunk, they're hungover, they're still partying. Those kind of people. And the issue with the Pharisees was inappropriate association. How could you associate with them? How could you hang around them? How could you be with them? And then Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he kind of says this tongue in cheeks because he knows the guys that he's looking at, they're self-righteous, but they definitely needed Jesus too. They just couldn't see it because they were so self-righteous. Jesus pursues those who are far from God to return them to the Father. So let me just break down for you the way of Jesus that was so irresistible, and it was the way of the early church. And we find it here in the text. The way of Jesus began with family. It began with family. And family begins with you belong. You belong. You're a part. You're my kid. You're loved. You belong as his child. Jesus said, follow me. You don't have to have it all figured out. In fact, many of the disciples didn't even fully believe in Jesus until after he rose from the dead. And even then, we'll look at a text that as he's given his farewell speech, known as the Great Commission, it's going to even say, some doubted. And some of you are wrestling with and wondering, can I be a part, but I don't really have it all together. So you can follow Jesus and not have it all figured out. But follow, the way of Jesus begins with belonging. You belong, and then moves to believe. Believe that God loves you. Believe that you are wanted. Believe that Jesus is the Savior. 
And as a result, belonging moves to believing and then become. You know Matthew, by the way, is a tax collector. He ended up writing one of the earliest records or accounts of Gospels of Jesus. Did you know that because he was a tax collector, he had formal education, spoke multiple languages, was, was literate and a well-versed in writing? Huh. Everybody walked past and saw a tax collector and a traitor, and he saw potential image bearer of God. Matthew would go on and actually die for his faith in Africa leading people, showing people Jesus. The result is acceptance, followed by fellowship, followed by transformation. Now, acceptance, by the way, does not mean I agree with you. Jesus is at this party. He does not agree with the life choices of what's happening there, but he accepts them and loves them. He's going like, no, no, no. You see, this is really messy. This is really hard. I'm going to love you. I'm going to accept you. But I do not agree with you. I love what Philip Yancey said. The issue is not whether I agree with someone, but rather how I treat someone with whom I profoundly disagree. And this is messy. He just said, you're accepted. You belong. And you move into fellowship. And in the process, then the goal of Jesus, the goal of Jesus is heart transformation. It's a change from the inside out. When you have been introduced to Jesus, by the way, you will be forever changed. Now, the way of the Pharisees. They just reverse the order. The way of the Pharisees begins this way. It's the way of all religion, that you believe. You have to believe the right things. And when you believe the right things, you behave the right way. And as a result, then you finally belong. You have to believe, and you get all this right, and then you behave, and then you belong, and the goal is moral. It's just this whole moralism. The result, pride, that leads to exclusivity, that eventually leads to hypocrisy. The way of the Pharisees was to rise above the mess. The way of Jesus was to enter the mess. The way of Pharisees said, okay, believe the right things, behave the right way, and then you can be a part of our club. And this has become, unfortunately, much of the way of the church in the West. Believe, behave, and if you don't believe and behave, we're going to shoot our own and you don't belong here anymore. Irreligious people found Jesus simply irresistible. Do you know that Jesus enjoys your company? Like your company. Like understands what you've been through, what you're going through. Like when he sees you, he sees beyond all the things that you think defines you. And he loves you. And he says you belong. Like you belong. I mean, that should just rock you, man. How could that not, like, rock you, that the God of the universe sees you, loves you? That's your starting point. It says belong. 
You don't have to measure up. You don't have to work. You don't have to try these different things. And that he believed that so much that he was okay with being misunderstood from profoundly religious people. And this is messy, by the way, because when we say we love people and you belong, we will be misunderstood by profoundly religious people. And so he didn't let criticism keep him from loving the people he was called. Now, a return to irresistible is messy. It means taking Jesus seriously. And as I want to close, I want to close with the why behind the mess of Jesus. Philip Yancey writes this, and it's in your notes for further reading, Vanishing Great's great book. He says, rather than judging them, Jesus loved and honored them, and in the process brought to the surface a thirst that only he could satisfy. I just wonder if we embrace the way of Jesus, we would become an irresistible community to a thirsting, hurting The why behind the messy way of Jesus. Let me start with the famous verse. The famous verse goes this way, John 3, 16. Even if you aren't a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you are familiar with this verse. For God so loved, help me out here. For God so loved that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the famous verse. This is the why behind the mess. For God so what? Loved. Starting point. Who? The world. Not the righteous. Not the ones who've got it all figured out. Yeah, he loves them too. Now let me challenge your thinking just a little bit. For God so loved the world, and that encompasses every tribe and every tongue and every nation, and no matter what you believe, even he loves the white supremacists who are operating on an evil agenda. His, he sees beyond that and says, you still have the fingerprint of God in you, and I still love you. God loves you. God loves you. And the why behind the mess. Why Jesus, when God showed up on this planet, was okay with being misunderstood. Now, let's look at the forgotten verse. Because the, here's what's amazing about John 3.16. I don't know if you ever knew this before. After John 3.16, this is, will blow your mind, comes John 3.17. It's crazy, right? But we don't ever read it. Here's what it says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why is it the church thinks it's our job to condemn everybody? I'll tell you what's resistible. You go, well, why don't you read Romans? I did. Did you know that it said it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? Hmm. Let's read the whole of Romans. Thank you very much. What if we were agents of grace to a hurting and broken world? My buddy, um, we're talking about working out, and I just got back on vacation, and so I'm really needing to work out. Um, And he was talking about this gym that his friend was inviting him to, and he didn't want to go. And you know why he didn't want to go? And maybe you experienced this. is because he's like, you know, that gym, that gym you have to get in shape before you go to work out there. (laughs) 
You know what I'm saying too, right? Like you look, like I can work out here. I want to work out in the privacy of my own home. But I don't want to go there because i got to be in shape before I go there. And unfortunately, that is what's happened with the church. And that's how a hurting and broken world feels when they see the church. And that's why there's this wide gap between who Jesus is and what we experience as Christians and what an outside world sees. I love how the message says it. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. When Levi, or Matthew, when, when he met Jesus, when he was introduced to Jesus, just think about this, and we're going to close right here. When he was introduced to Jesus, He couldn't wait to introduce Jesus to everyone he knew. Think about it. What if we were a church that when someone was introduced to our church, they couldn't wait to introduce everyone they knew how well we loved? Think about this. People think they got to get cleaned up to go to church. For us to break that stereotype Our singular aim has to be simply to introduce others to Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Man, I would love because he's changed my life, transformed my heart. Let me introduce you to the one who gave me life. I'm going to introduce you to Jesus by my love. I'm going to introduce you to Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus by my words. Let me introduce you to Jesus by my work ethic. Let me introduce you to Jesus by how I am present with you and not distracted. Let me introduce you to Jesus by how I actually take a care and concern about your well-being and your life. Let me introduce you to Jesus by my life because I've been changed by Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus. It's irresistible. Um, as we close, I think there's two responses here. I'm going to invite the band to come on up, and you can turn the lights down low for me. The first response, I think, is for us as followers of Jesus that maybe have lost our way, maybe have reversed the order. See, the starting point with God is love, and sometimes we put we have to do something to be loved. The minute you put do something to be loved, you start on the way of Pharisee. You're loved, and so you do. You don't do, so you love. And what I want you to do in this time, and we're going to take communion in a second, is to remember where you were when Jesus found you, when Jesus saw you, when Jesus called you. Get back to that moment. I mean, I want you to visualize it. And how the outpouring of grace came upon you. But you remember that. Henry Nouwen has this prayer that says, God, help me to see others not as my enemies or as ungodly, but rather as thirsty people. And give me the courage and compassion to offer your living water, which alone quenches deep thirst. Let me introduce them to Jesus. Remember where you were. Get back to that moment. The second response is for some, 
I love this thought for some. You, uh, you've belonged here for a while. And I've heard this story over and over again where you've belonged and somewhere along the way, you don't even know when it happened, you crossed the bridge of faith to believe. And you're like, wait a second, I was just hanging out. I really like this crew. And, and no, wow, all of a sudden, I, I actually believe that Jesus loves me. I actually am trusting him with my life. And I, I thought they were all wackadoodle, but wow. And for some today, the invitation is Jesus sees you, and the invitation is he says, follow me, and you say, okay, okay. In fact, I just want to pray for you if you're there to follow him. And if you would just pray with me, and if you're in a space where, yes, I want to start a relationship with God. I want to experience Jesus, the irresistible Jesus today. You start this way, God, I don't have it all figured out. but I want to begin following you. Jesus, I believe that you came for me, that you died for me, that you rose again to new life for me. And I don't have that all figured out, and I'm willing, I want to start this journey with you. So today, I give you my life. Would you give me brand new life in return? Would you come and make me new? As we take communion, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to have a couple people actually serve you communion. Communion is just remembering. And for some, this is the very first time. It's like, I don't have to remember very far. It was 30 nanoseconds ago. But for others, it was 30 years ago. Remembering our union with Christ. And they're simply going to declare this over you. Welcome home. You belong here. This is Christ's body broken for you as blood poured out. You're loved. Do this in remembrance of me.